Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me are co-host Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey. Hello, hello. So great to see you. So great to be back. Aubrey, today we have an incredible interview with Stephen Arterburn. And uh, many of you guys will have, you'll be familiar with kind of his most prominent work, uh, and that is Every Man's Battle. Yeah. Uh, that is a very, very well-known uh, piece. And, 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 you know, I'd heard of that book for a long time and had no idea that he actually lives in Indianapolis. Oh, and I, I think I found that, that out. Cool. Yeah, I found that out like maybe a year ago. And that was the first time I was like, we've got to have him on the podcast. Well, then we decided we're doing this addiction series, which this is week two of the addiction series. We thought this would be a perfect place for him to talk about the struggles that men and women alike have with uh, especially sexual addiction, uh, pornography and and the like. And so uh, we talk about a lot of different things, especially revolving this idea of how important community is Mm. in healing, how important it is to be to be with other people who are also struggling uh, in the same vein so that you can hold each other accountable and share kind of some of the best practices of your recovery. And I think too, just to normalize, I, I'm alone. I'm not alone, yeah. you know, cause otherwise you can, the enemy can just isolate oh, you. So like true. I'm the only one who deals with this. I'm especially when it comes to sexual addiction and pornography. Yep. Right. And and I would say, especially for women, you can feel like I'm the only one who struggles with this. But yeah. to be able to have a community where you um, can talk openly about this stuff, I think is a great place for healing yeah, to happen. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think the enemy has a couple of things. He's not very creative. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he's not creative. He just takes whatever God creates and he perverts it. That's but right. But he has the same tactics over and over that he uses. And one of the primary taxes, tactics, he, tactics he uses is isolation. That's exactly you know, right. And if he can get us isolated, he can get us into places where we experience then desolation. Come on, that was like a preacher yeah. term right there, you know? From yeah. isolation to desolation. Yeah, right. Preach it's a just... day. <laughs> it's true though, but right? It is very true, which is why Wait, we have... Up. But the Lord brings consolation oh, as he brings you into community. Two come C's. <laughs> uh, well, this is, why we have, this is why we have our community groups. Yeah. Um, and you know, we are actively working to create some addiction related groups. And so be on the lookout for that. If you're interested in joining the nothing is wasted community where you can have conversations with other people who are also journeying this. This um, is one thing I love about nothing is wasted is that you do have these community groups because you move from just being a podcast that people listen to, to something people can actually be a part of. Yeah, and so great. if you do want to find a group of people that are struggling with some of the same things you are, or have walked through some of the same pain you've walked through, that's available on the website, right, Davey? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, uh, nothing is wasted.com slash community groups. Uh, it's very, very simple to find. Um, and you have talked about sexual addiction in the sexual betrayal series. Right. I wasn't the co-host yet, but that was episode 79 through 83. I know those were incredibly powerful. Oh, I actually sent them to some friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, listeners, if you want, you can go back and listen to those episodes 79 through 83. Yeah. And Aubrey, in that sexual betrayal series, we had two guests that were featured uh, for uh, an episode, Kristen and Michael Carey. 
and they actually lead groups here in Indianapolis, but also connect with people all over the country. Um, Michael connects with men who have uh, unwanted sexual behavior or mm. trying to recover from sexual addiction. And Kristen leads groups of women who have been sexually betrayed. Wow. Um, so that, you know, awesome. their partner betrayed them in some way. And so what was powerful, so crazy is that we found out from them just recently that after we featured them on the podcast, told people about those groups, they were inundated <gasps> with calls and emails from people who were saying, Hey, can you help me through this process? Which wow. is, you know, both, both really, really sad and sobering, yeah. heartbreaking, but also really cool that, that people yeah. are stepping up in a topic that could be filled with a lot of shame and wanting because of that, wanting to kind of remain secret, but they're yep. stepping up and stepping out and saying, Hey, I, I, I want to break from this addiction or I want help in this. Yeah by seeking out community. And uh, so good. we're just, yeah, we're just thrilled that that stuff is happening. People are emerging and, and they're finding freedom. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing that God is doing that. Also, Davey, I know you don't want to brag about this, but you were on their podcast, which they started right after they were on with Nothing Is Wasted. Uh-huh. It's called The Living Truth Podcast. So yeah. go check them out. Check out the amazing things they're talking about and then Davey's episode in particular. Yeah, we actually had a lady reach out that got connected to our community groups through their podcast. So that's it's really so cool, cool how God's just kind of cross-pollinating healing. I love that. I know. Yeah, that's know. awesome. You know, Aubrey, one of the things that, um, you know, Steve definitely spends a lot of time in this interview talking about men who are struggling with yeah. uh, addictive personalities or addictive disorders. But, you know, particularly when it comes to pornography, sexual addiction, that's not a, 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 a that's not an addiction that's only, uh, that only affects men. It's right. It's absolutely. Uh, there's so many women that struggle with it as well. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yep. Cause I know that you've got, I was, I do have some thoughts about yeah. it. I was actually reading a, I think it was from Mary Claire magazine that, a third of adult women struggle with pornography. I don't mm-hmm. think they were saying struggle, but watch pornography. Yeah, right. And then 10% of those women watch pornography every single day. So wow. I think I, I, all that to say it's real for women. The struggle is real. And yeah. we tend, I think, as women to not want to admit because it's supposed to be that's the men's struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Only men yep. struggle with pornography. But um, the reality is women do too. Yeah. And um, especially the day and age when you can get to everything at the push of a button. And so I think it's important that we talk about not just the men's struggle, but also the women's struggle and how they just interact with each other. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, Davey, is so Stephen Arterburn mentored my writing mentor, a woman named Shannon Etheridge, who actually wrote the counterpart okay. to Every Man's Battle. She wrote Every Woman's Battle. Oh, okay. And uh, that book saved my life. You know how there are those yeah. books that God just puts in your life right at the right time. Right. Uh, and we don't have to talk about this forever, but I was sexually assaulted as a young girl on a school bus. Mm. And I was sexually assaulted again as an older teenager when I was 17 years old from a, a boss, actually an older man at a oh restaurant where I worked. And um, I carried that as a secret for over a decade. And I carried the shame of that for that long, at least. Wow. And um, God, through some tremendous just movement led me to Shannon's book, which I'm telling you set me free from all the shame I was holding on to. And then um, God somehow put me in a relationship with Shannon and she just helped me become a writer and take some of my experiences and share them with other people. So I owe a lot to her. And because of that, I feel very excited that we've got Stephen in this episode. Wow. 
What a, just what a powerful testimony of that, Aubrey. You know, I didn't even know that until the other day you, you mentioned yeah. that to us, but a powerful testimony, testimony of how God has taken uh, really the worst possible thing that could happen, I feel like, to a young girl yeah. and yeah. turn it around now and, and use that as a catalyst to uh, the life-changing work that you're doing to help other women. I mean, just that's nothing is wasted. You know, that's, that's nothing is wasted. And that's purpose. only what God can do, right? Yeah, that is yeah. so powerful. So I would definitely recommend everybody to go and pick up either um, every man's battle, every woman's battle, pick up both of them. Maybe as couples, you guys read that together. Yeah. And Stephen's going to talk quite a bit about this and the journey of recovering through addiction and some of the things that he sees as they're helping other people, men and women, to recover from addiction. So why don't you go ahead and listen to this conversation that I have with Stephen Arterburn. Steve, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Davey. Great to be here. Well, I'd love to dive into, you know, you've got the 20th anniversary edition of Every Man's Battle that's coming out. This has obviously been a profound book for so many people over the past 20 years, uh, myself included. I want to dive into the, you know, the story behind it, the inspiration behind it, some of the principles you teach in just a second. But first, why don't you just give us an overview of your life right now? Who Who are you? What do you do? What's your family like? Where do you live? Tell our listeners a little bit about Steve Arterburn. Okay. Well, um, I started a ministry called New Life Ministry 31 years ago uh, in Laguna Beach, California. And we were actually a venture capital funded company. And uh, some people gave me a couple of million bucks and I turned it into 92 million. And so we, uh, they sold the assets from that company and we spun off new life ministries which is a radio program we do uh, intensives on sexual addiction marriage things like that and uh, we have about 800 counselors around the country in our network uh we we do a a program it's a one hour called new life live one hour with uh, psychologists christian counselors uh right in the middle of the day for a lot of people it's 10 a.m uh, Pacific time. And we're on uh, 200 stations, Sirius XM. We do it on the app, but we do it on a, a cable network. And uh, over the years, I um, I started another ministry called Women of Faith. And we started that in 1996, had 5 million women filling arenas all over the country. Over a half million came to Christ. I'm a uh, teaching pastor at Northview Church in Carmel, Indiana. I uh, had the great privilege of um, preaching there uh, just, uh, I guess, four weeks ago hmm. and uh, asked people if they wanted to accept Christ. We had 146 people come to wow. Christ in one day. That's more than my mother's church has ever had, ever. Uh, so that was pretty exciting. And then, um, you know, we have 13 campuses. Three of them are in Indiana prisons, and uh, 20 of those wow. salvations came just in the one sex offender prison where we are. I have uh, five kids. We're a blended family, and we're, uh, I would say, the exception to most things that you hear about blended families. Our kids uh, love each other and enjoy <laughs> each other, laugh together, and they're uh, ages uh, 10 to 29 is the age variation there. Uh, wow. My 
previous wife, after 20 years of a very difficult marriage, she had an affair. Uh, I found out about it. And when I did, she uh, divorced me. Mm. And uh, years later, I married my wife and we've been married now um, 15 years. So that's that's kind of my story. Wow. Well, let's I'd love to dive into it a little more because you don't just get into the kind of ministry that you're into just, you know, on a whim. Uh, especially talking about you know helping people journey the the, the treacherous roads of of recovering from addiction and um, especially you know, some of the 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 sexual battles that men and women alike are facing uh, nowadays. So, talk to me a little bit about the inspiration behind Every Man's Battle, but also the ministry that you know New Life Ministries that you guys have started. Yeah, uh, where does your story intersect with the inspiration behind that? Well, um, when I was four, um, I had very strict uh, Southern Baptist parents. Um, as I grew up, like my parents were so strict. When they started uh, putting Cokes in cans, we weren't allowed to drink Cokes out of a can because they were afraid somebody might think that we were drinking beer out of a can. <laughs> well, we were drinking beer anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but it made them feel better to not have us drink canned Cokes. But for some reason at four, my parents didn't think it was a problem for me to go into my grandfather's office that was covered with centerfolds and um, just all sorts of pornography. Mm. And I was exposed to pornography. And so I was kind of uh, introduced to women as objects uh, Mm -hmm. for men's pleasure. So um, I got into pornography very, very young. And when you treat women as objects or you see them that way, uh, if one gets pregnant, then what you think about as inside that object is just another object. Mm. And so when I was in college, I paid for, uh, pressured my girlfriend to have an abortion. And it was like, I didn't really think about it much until afterwards. And it was the most regrettable, horrible thing uh, that I've ever done in my life. And the guilt and the shame from that um, caused me to have about 80 ulcers Uh, inside of me. And uh, one doctor said, you know, if something doesn't change, you're going to die. And so I had to drop out of school. I was really sick and it was nothing but the physiological impact of of shame. But out of that, um, hitting bottom so uh, hard and with that horrible situation, uh, I made a 180 degree change and I Mm -hmm. turned my life over to the Lord Uh, It was so radical. Most of my friends thought it was fake. They couldn't believe a person could change that much. And I was, um, I felt so differently after that. I I wanted to help other people. And so I went to seminary not to learn to preach, even though I am a preacher. Uh, But I studied counseling. And I I also studied all of the self-help programs. And um, I worked in a psych hospital and also uh, got to work uh, starting in 1976, I started working uh, with addicts, and I've been doing that ever since. And along the way, you know, I learned something about recovery, about addiction, and things like that. And one of the things that I learned, which was really kind of shocking to a lot of people, that uh, alcoholics weren't uh, necessarily weak people. In fact, mm. um, they weren't stupid either, and they weren't skid row bums. And they only had one thing in common. And that one thing, uh, which, you know, it's just, it's hard to, well, I've never had anybody say, no, you're, 
It's not true. But an alcoholic has one thing in common with other alcoholics is that they can drink a lot of alcohol. It, it almost seems like a gift to them that they mm. have this t- high tolerance. Mm. Maybe in high school, they're they're the ones that drive the kids home because people say, hey, well, you know, you're you're not intoxicated. You drive us home. But if you can consume, you know, a couple of six packs of beer, and not be drunk or ha- a bottle of wine every night or uh, that kind of level, your your system is going to get addicted the alcohol and it can't really process that much alcohol and your brain gets toxic. And so I worked with folks and, and I discovered, you know, my tolerance was high. And so I had never been arrested or for being drunk. I never was drunk really. And, but I just said one day I, I've had my share and I quit drinking. And, uh, so I tried to help other people do the same. And my good friend, Dave Stoop and I, we created this, let me show this to you. We created uh, this life recovery Bible. And what's exciting about this, uh, Tyndall House publishers uh, said, okay, let's let's do it. I think we can probably sell 100,000 copies of this. Wasn't really in their uh, wheelhouse, but we were trying to bring the 12 steps back to the Bible hmm. uh, where they had started because uh, Dr. Bob and, and Bill W. created those, or they came up with the 12 steps and they say, you know, we didn't invent these. We discovered them in the good book, specifically Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the book of James, and 1 Corinthians 13. So Dave and I found Bible scholars in seminaries and Christian colleges who were all recovering. And so when you open this up, you uh, you read a note, a study note at the bottom. And, you know, if you're recovering, you go, man, that sounds like somebody's talking to me. It is. It's because it's a it's a Bible scholar that's been right where you are. Well, 100,000 Bibles has now turned into over 3 million Bibles. And Prison wow. Fellowship, uh, this is their Bible. If you're a prisoner and you ask for it, they'll give you a Bible like this or in Spanish. And then also, uh, Salvation Army, it's their Pew Bible. But it's the if you're recovering uh, and you get one of these, or like you give it to somebody, uh, they're so thrilled to know that mm. all of this 12-step stuff has all these devotionals and and these study guides with it. Uh, So a big part of my life is helping people to recover from guilt and shame, because after that abortion, see, I thought it was my job to show God that nobody has ever felt worse or more shame over Mm. an abortion than me. And then I realized that that was what Satan wanted me to do. Mm. What God wanted me to do was accept uh, his forgiveness and be restored and then turn around and try to help other people. And, you know, I I just was amazed at, at the grace and the mercy. You know, the Bible says God is rich in mercy. And when you kill your own child and you feel God's forgiveness, hmm. you come to believe that he is rich in mercy. And, you know, after I got married, um, after that abortion, I married somebody else. And we were an infertile couple for seven uh, years. Hmm. And, of course, you can imagine how brilliant Christians are. How many said to me, mm. oh, so uh, I guess, you know, God's punishing you uh, for that abortion. And wow. um, I would say to them, you know, there's a proverb that actually gives me the right to hit you. It says, a fool's mouth calls for blows. And so <laughs> I would hit them and then ask them to turn the other cheek as a good Christian so I could hit them again. But really the point is, you know, people just say these things that are so stupid. Well, I don't even know what the purpose, what they were trying to get at. 
Yeah. But that wasn't what God was doing, because in fact, in 1990, uh, after all these years of infertility, a young couple in Georgia, age 16, they were pregnant and they couldn't raise their child. But they decided to be more courageous than I was. And they decided not to have an abortion. And um, they decided we would have their baby. Mm. And on uh, Christmas Eve, we got a phone call that our daughter had been born. And we flew there on Christmas Day. And when we got to the hospital, they didn't put Madeline in my wife's arms. The nurse brought her right to me. Kind of weird. But I always felt like it was God giving back to me the very thing that I had destroyed. Because Mm. that's the kind of God that we have. You know, if God can restore Peter after saying, I never met this guy, uh, God can restore me and give back to me the the desires of my heart after having paid for an abortion. We don't have to pay for our sins Mm -hmm. forever. And, you know, a lot of times I'll talk to people who are divorced. And uh, I certainly had grounds for divorce. I didn't divorce my wife. She divorced me. But when you talk with them, they hear that God hates divorce. Mm -hmm. But they interpret it as God hates people that get divorced. That's not true. He does hate divorce. He knows the impact of it. But he doesn't hate the people that get divorced. And God never hated me. He loved me. And he loves me today. And anybody that's struggling with guilt or shame or whatever, you can find that same peace and restoration that I found because God is truly rich in mercy. Wow. That's so great. I'd love to uh, unpack a little bit of this. Kind of the work that you do. Well, with, good luck then. If you uh, <laughs> the work that you do with, uh, you know, journeying with people who are recovering from addiction. I know one of the things we chatted about uh, briefly off air, I really wanted to make sure we mentioned was uh, just this idea that I think a lot of people, they they wonder, you know, okay, this 12-step program, I, I hear about it, I get it, right? Why, why does it take 12 steps? Is that yeah. why, why can't God just heal my addiction? Why right. can't there just be like a moment of experience that all of a sudden now, boom, I'm free from it. My chains are broken. It, speak to that a little bit. What, what would you say your thoughts are on, on that? Well, um, I've known people that actually that happened to. Um, back in the old days when, um, you know, you didn't have hot and cold water coming out of the same faucet. This guy was telling me, you know, he turned on the hot and the cold to shave and you'd shave and then you'd dip the thing in the water. He said he looked down at the image in that water in his sink. And for some reason, he saw who he was. He asked God to heal him. And instantly, uh, every craving he'd ever had for alcohol went away. Wow. But you know what? He wasn't delivered into instant maturity Christian character, Mm. and no one that was around him, none of them were delivered from their bitterness, resentment, and anger toward all the problems that he had caused. Mm. So I would just say to you, if if you were instantly delivered from anything, um, that's a great gift from God. But if you don't get in a growth program, uh, that's going to be wasted. And you're mm-hmm. going to find you're going to be to need to you'll need to be delivered again. Wow. So just stopping something or being delivered from it is one thing. But God doesn't make you uh, bold with character, 
rich in maturity or wisdom. So the value of 12 Steps is essentially a program where I come to accept responsibility for what I've done. I try to make it right with other people, and I grow closer to God. Uh, I mean, it's just a growth program. If you don't like 12, I've got seven steps you can take, and it, it just doesn't matter. We all need to grow. People say, I just need one step, and that's to accept Jesus. And I say, man, uh, you, if you had done that, I think you'd see that that's, that's not enough because James 5.16 says we need to confess our sins to one another. That's mm-hmm. beyond just accepting Christ as Savior. Well, that's part of the whole 12-step process, too. And people say, you know, I don't like the 12 steps because, well, they refer to a higher power. I go, oh, you don't like that. <laughs> no, they should talk about God. I said, well, you know what's interesting to me is I know a lot of Christians who are going to heaven because they believe in Jesus. But here on earth, they've never they've never made Jesus their higher power. Hmm. Their agenda, their uh, denomination, their sect, whatever it is, that's their higher power, their ego. So I think that concept of higher power is really valuable. Mm-hmm. And of course, the reason that we have created life recovery groups and use the life recovery Bible is we believe Jesus is our ultimate higher power, but not everybody is there. Mm. But I think a lot of Christians aren't there either. And so it'd be good if they'd kind of take a look at that higher power mm. concept. Yeah. We have a lot of Christians that Jesus is not sitting on the throne of their lives. That's although right. they declare him their savior, he's not their, he's not their Lord. You know, another thing I'll mention, um, and when we talk about 12 step stuff, it says, that uh, I surrender to God as I understand him. They go, you know, what's that all about? I mean, Mm. and I say, well, look, uh, when I was younger, I didn't understand God to be the same Mm. God as I do today. When I was younger, I thought if you did something wrong, God would cut your arm off. You know, he'd he'd get you. Yeah. I don't understand God in that way at all. So whatever way I understand God, Mm. um, really your whole life, the transformation of your life begins with genuine surrender to the God of the universe. And that God of the universe comes in three persons, Mm. God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And if you're addicted to something, you need all three of those parts of the the Trinity working with you. Yeah. I was just chatting with somebody earlier today, someone that, uh, a coaching client that we have, and we were talking about how God is increasingly showing himself, revealing himself to us in our relationship with him as we surrender to him. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are being unveiled essentially from one degree of glory to the next, this this continual transformation that's taking place. And so just as you said, like, you know, at age 30, you understood God to be a certain way that now you understand him so much more, but the portal to understanding him, who he is more, is that surrender. Yeah. Surrendering to him. And, you know, that surrender concept um, in the midst of crisis, a virus, Mm. whatever it is, you know, you surrender to God uh, either one of two ways. You have this emotional, uh, spiritual experience and you start on a different journey but you don't have to wait for that. There's another way to surrender to God, and that is this word compliance. You just mm. say, you know, what I've been doing isn't working. How about I comply with what some other people have done? And they say that if you'll do it, it'll eventually work for you. So I love to see people surrender, you know, 
emotionally, spiritually, in every way. But I also love to see it when somebody just says, my life's so messed up, I'm just going to do what you've been doing. I'm going to comply and see where that takes me. As a longtime counselor himself, Steve is no stranger to understanding the importance of biblical counseling. Whether you're battling an addiction, working through other types of pain, or just trying to navigate the trials that life throws at all of us, we at Nothing Is Wasted believe that Christian counseling is a major tool God uses as a catalyst in our recovery. Christy and I have decided in the wake of COVID-19 to try another type of counseling that doesn't involve in-person meetings. So we've partnered with an incredible online worldwide organization who is sponsoring the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. This organization is called Faithful Counseling. They provide virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are certified by their state's board to provide therapy and counseling. Faithful Counseling is designed as a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling, but would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you're seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing believer, Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. Once you are matched with a counselor, in 24 hours or less, you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile device through video calls, phone calls, or even text messaging. They also have weekly groupinar sessions where members can learn in a group environment with a counselor about various topics that we all face. Just to clarify, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource during your healing journey. Faithful Counseling costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify. You can apply for that aid during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash Nothing is wasted. If you use that link to sign up, you'll receive 10% off your first month of counseling just for being a part of the Nothing is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothing is wasted. And now back to my conversation with Steve. Steve, I'm curious, as you're working with folks who are on the recovery journey, do you find some common denominator sticking points for people where they go, it's like a hurdle that, that, that everybody or this step right here, this stage right here, almost inevitably, everyone has trouble with this one. And if you can kind of hurdle over this one, or if you can have a breakthrough, you know, find freedom in this one, then it really propels you, you know, into the next phase. I, I don't know. I'm just curious as to like, uh, if there's people, you know, if there's like some common denominators that yeah. really would help someone who's listening to this right now go, oh, okay, that really provides me some insight into how to battle this this sticking point right now. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start at the beginning. You know, a lot of people are aware they have a problem. Mm. Life's not going well. Well, you know, awareness, that's better than being blind to it or being in denial. So you're aware. But awareness doesn't really get you anywhere. You'd want to be aware of your problem and then have a desire for it to be different. Hmm. You know, there's this thing called learned helplessness where people yeah. get in this state of, of they just they're they're They kind of give up and nothing anybody ever tries to do to help them. Will they do it? And so they're just stuck. So hmm. I want to be aware and then I want to have a desire uh, to get better or to be different. But. It takes a third element, and this is where people get hung up. You know, uh, I know a guy who said, 
Uh, I had, I'm a sex addict and every day I wanted to be different. So I'd raise my hand to God and I'd say, God, uh, help me. And I surrender to you. And every day my addiction would come back. Mm. And I said, well, I think you need uh, a laying on of hands ceremony. And here's what I mean. I think rather than doing this to God every day, which doesn't seem to be producing much change, why don't you do a laying on of hands? Lay your hands on the steering wheel of your car and drive it to a meeting or a men's Bible study and say to the guys there, guys, I've been doing this with God by myself, and now I'm going to open up to you because I went from wanting things to be different to become willing to do whatever it takes. You have to have a willingness to not do some things that other people think are absolutely okay to do. Mm. Now, when you get that willingness, God can do anything with you. Yeah. But until you have it, you're just a, you're, you're somebody saying, I want things to be better. You might as well throw coins in a fountain and wish because all you're doing is wishing yeah. Or you're using false hope. It's not going to be enough. You have to be willing. Yeah. Wow. So I want, I want to dive in a little bit to um, Every Man's Battle. Uh, you know, 20 years ago when you wrote and released this, the climate of our world, of especially technology, the advancement mm-hmm. of technology was drastically different. You know, there was already a major uh, pornography addiction was very, very, very prevalent already. Now, with the access that men have through all kinds of different technological portals to be able to, as quickly as you can snap your fingers, you can type in a text, uh, you can access pornography. Um, How has that, how has that uh, maybe shifted some of the ways that you are helping men to overcome this? What, What does that look like now in today's culture? Well, a couple of things um, I think of, you know, it was one thing when you found a, you know, a Playboy or some kind of printed pornography in a field or something, and you opened it up and you looked at that picture and whatever. Um, You compare that experience with somebody that clicks video, 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 video. Um, It's a very, very different experience, and it's one that you can't duplicate in real life. Mm. You know, uh, sexual intimacy should be between two people uh, that have a, an intimacy of spirit and mind and heart, and then that becomes this fulfilling uh, experience. But when you become accustomed to having sex with yourself using mm. pornography, um, and then you get married thinking, oh, well, that'll fix it. No, it, it actually mm. makes it worse because you're not able to to be healthy, healthily sexual mm. with your wife. In fact, a couple of years ago, Time Magazine had a cover story of all these 14-year-old guys that weren't having sex. I mean, they weren't having, they weren't going to use pornography anymore because they couldn't be sexual with their girlfriends. It wasn't that they found Jesus. They, they wanted to be able to have sex with a real person. And as we all know now, all these years later, uh, pornography really neuters a man mm. from being sexual with a real live woman. But one of the things that we've learned that's uh, so, uh, it makes so much sense. When you have a sexual experience with a woman, there's um, a dopamine spike in the brain. Uh, That's the chemical reaction that produces that great feeling. Uh, But there's also a release 
of a hormone called uh, oxytocin. And every mother knows that oxytocin is what she's secreting as she uh, breastfeeds her baby. Mm. And it's a supernatural bonding element. And you go back to the cave woman, she would be nursing her baby and bonding supernaturally with that baby. But there's something else that oxytocin does. You become so bonded to whatever you're bonded to that you are very aggressive um, to anything that's a threat to what you're bonded to. So cave mm. woman, here's a lion outside the cave. She'll secure the baby, go out there. She'll, with the adrenaline and everything she's mm-hmm. got, she'll kill the lion to protect her baby. Well, men who have sex with pornography, not a real life wife, mm-hmm. they bond to the pornography. Mm. Well, what else happens? Just like the mother, they become aggressive to anything that is a threat to it. So they don't know why. Why? How did I love this woman so much? And now I can't stand her. Well, mm. it's because you're bonded to pornography. She's a threat to what you are supernaturally bonded to. When men wake up to this and they give the pornography away, they stop looking at it, they bounce their eyes, they they just say, I'm, I'm just not going to look at anything but my wife. They are astounded at how quickly mm. their love and um, their empathy and connection to their wife becomes. Pornography has that kind of impact. It literally makes you um, hate the person you chose to be with for the rest of your life. We call it the pornified man. There are a lot of other impacts, but I think that's one of the most profound um, research projects that we talk about in the book is is what it does when you are bonded to self-sex and pornography and how destructive that is to your marriage relationship. Wow. So, you know, now that as, as easily accessible as it is, it's just click, 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 click. Yeah. You're getting hit after hit after hit after hit after hit of that oxytocin, which is just expediting right. that bonding process and therefore expediting the deterioration of your, your soul, essentially, but, you know, of all of these other things as well, the intimacy with your spouse and all of that. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, the plasticity of the brain, the ability for the brain to heal, to develop new pathways, mm-hmm. that works for you uh, in recovery. And we've seen, you know, we do a, a workshop, uh, and you can find out about the Everyman's Battle Workshop at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. But we see these guys that uh, they are, you know, they just think they can't ever go without looking at pornography. And mm-hmm. they become some of the greatest Christian men ever uh, once they begin that recovery process. Wow. So let's say you're talking to somebody right now, you know, they're listening to this and they, they've found themselves trapped in that, that kind of an addiction, sexual addiction, pornography. What would you say their first couple of steps are right now? They say, I I want to be out of this, but what do I need to do? Yeah, I would say, uh, first thing is to see it. You know, you, you gotta say, okay, this really is me. Uh, I've been saying, oh, it's not hurting anybody. It's not that bad, whatever. But I think to truly see the reality of your situation would be the first step. And then um, you, need to, you need to talk to somebody. Mm. Uh, you can't do this on your own. Uh, you can waste five or six years trying, but you could call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Uh, you could talk to your pastor, talk to a friend, your buddy, get in a men's Bible study. But you have to have a connection, and you have to ask somebody to help you with this and hold you mm. accountable. And maybe the term pornography isn't really what you are dealing with. Maybe a better term for you would be inappropriate images. 
Like you could make a case, this isn't pornography. But when you look at, at what you're looking at, it's really inappropriate. And it's dishonoring of women and it's dishonoring and, and it's really betraying of your wife. So see what you're doing. See it for what it is, uh, the reality of it. And then ask for some help uh, or mm. ask if some, hey, uh, I've been struggling a little bit with some inappropriate image thing. Would you uh, join me and let's go through every man's battle together? You can do that mm. online with somebody else. Uh, you can you know, do it when we all get back together again. You can do it in a men's Bible study, whatever. But like in my church on any given week, we have 200 men in every man's battle groups. So, you know, a lot of people don't even have that many people asking for help or anything. Yeah. Uh, but you've had Michael Carey on mm-hmm. your program because of the work that he has done with his wife, Kristen. Uh, they're really ministering to folks in this area of sexual brokenness. And anybody yep. could do that in any church. You just have to have a passion uh, the way Michael and Kristen do. Wow. You know, it's we've been talking a lot and leaning toward the gender of men struggling with sexual addiction. But uh, I wonder if you have any insight into speaking to, there's definitely profound research out there that is almost as prevalent with women today as well. Well, my wife, my wife, um, uh, she started going to um, codependency groups 20 years ago. She was married to a sex addict Mm. and um, she now at our church facilitates groups for women. One is a uh, general recovery group that meets at noon um, and then on Fridays. But on Sunday at four, uh, she has a group of women with sexual integrity problems. And every one of them is either totally hooked on pornography or they've struggled with Mm -hmm. pornography. So um, it's not just something we've read about uh, conceptually in an article somewhere. She's dealing with it every day. Sometimes those women will come over to the house and Uh, They'll watch movies or stuff together. And they're just some of the most grateful people ever because Mm. they just they just never, ever uh, dreamed that they could be caught up in something like a pornography addiction Mm. or dependency. Is there a difference as to like the the route or the the portal into it based on gender? So, you know, men are hooked to pornography because of. X, Y, and Z, and then women are because of X, Y, you know, what's the kind of motivation or motivating drive behind women that may be distinct or different from men? It's different, but you know, I don't think it's the same for all men either. You know, Mm, some men are just looking for uh, release. Some men are angry and bitter at women because they hate their mother, you know, all sorts of different things. And with women, some of them, um, like these women, They were married to a sex addict and he said, hey, let's watch some of this stuff. And so they went along with it and then they got hooked on it. Uh, Others, they they would never drink or take drugs, but they're looking for some kind of mood alteration. And so Mm. it just becomes kind of a mood altering drug or drug like state or experience. So it's different for everybody. But the main thing is um, pornography is a dead end. And I don't know of anybody uh, who's recovering who's thinking, I really ought to go back and do some more pornography. Uh, if they relapse, they're so sad about it, they want to get right back in recovery. Yeah. But you go from being this, like if you're a man, this guy, this bad little boy looking at dirty pictures, to becoming a man, a godly yeah. man. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear guys say, well, 
Uh, all guys are doing that. Well, you know mm-hmm. what? If you want to be a guy, that kind of implies like a teen mindset. Yeah, a lot of guys are doing this, you could say. But godly men aren't doing it. Men of character aren't doing it. Yeah. And there are a lot of brothers that want to join you and help you to find victory in this particular area. That's great. You know, one more question. I know your your time is is uh, coming close to an end here, but I I I wonder what you would say. Curious what you would say to a to a woman who has kind of used that same excuse to justify her husband's pornography addiction. Um, oh, you know, everybody's doing it and and tolerates it because of it. Yeah. How damaging is it unwittingly to her? You know, to their relationship. Well, it it shows uh, how hurt she is, and I'm sure that that hurt just didn't start in that marriage to where you would just give up and uh, be reconciled to this is what my husband's going to do. When we're working, we do a conference for women whose husband has been involved in affairs or pornography, whatever. It's called Restore. And, you know, what we found is that many women are more upset about him being involved in pornography than a real affair because, Mm. you know, she's thinking, I can't compete with this other thing uh, that's everything's perfect, looks great and all that. But betrayal, uh, it's betrayal. And so what I would say to that woman is, oh, I'm I'm so sorry that Mm. you've given up or that that you've lost your hope. Uh, Get into some kind of healing process for you. Mm. Demand that he get some help come together then in a marriage experience together and you'll have a whole different life. But uh, don't just settle uh, for something so weak and lame that you're going to be these parallel people. He's doing pornography and you're doing whatever it is, Mm. uh, especially just kind of being absent from the intimacy in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time with us. Where can um, our listeners follow what you guys do? Uh, Yeah, 1-800-NEW-LIFE is a phone number to call. We're on the web at newlife.com. New Life with Steve Arterburn on Facebook. If you want to hear the radio program, you can hear it on Sirius XM channel 131 at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We're on about 200 stations around the country. We have an app, New Life app. You can hear it there. You can hear it on the website. You can go to NRB Television. Uh, you can watch it there. All sorts of ways that you can access us. It's New Life Ministries with Steve Arterburn. That's where what you'll uh, need to look for. Well, Steve, that's it's. I mean, I'm super inspired by the the ministry that you guys are doing that you've unfolded out of radio, essentially. And uh, as as a young and uh, aspiring. Um, pastor, whatever you call what we do. I don't even know what we do in this kind of a field, but um, I, I'm just really inspired by that. I'd love to sit down and pick your brain sometime about all of that. I just am so appreciative of the time that you've taken with yeah, us. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. Okay. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thank you. Hey, that was a great conversation with Mr. Stephen Arterburn. Yeah. I love what he has to say. I love what he's adding to this conversation that we've been having about addiction. I know. And this is only the second episode. We've got a few more episodes that we're going to bring to you. Uh, I'm really excited about what's to come. It's really, really, yeah. I mean, it's going to, a lot of healing, a lot of healing going to take place. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of healing in a place of real darkness. Yeah. Big time. 
Hey, a special thanks to Sleeping at Last for letting us use his music on the podcast. We are big fans here. And of course, he's a Chicago boy, so very excited. (laughs) And also, if this episode or any of our episodes have meant something to you, be sure to go on iTunes and rate and review them. We love hearing your reviews. That helps us continue the ministry and do better at the ministry of Nothing is Wasted. Yeah. Not only do we want to hear your reviews, we'd also love to hear your stories. So Mm, go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories, and you can read other people's stories, stories that we feature on a different part of our platform. And we'd love to hear your story. You can submit it there, and we'd love to feature uh, your story on Instagram, right there on the website, perhaps even the podcast. Uh, Or you can email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com with guest suggestions, people you may know, referrals. Uh, we'd love to hear those as well. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp A U B S A M P. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned this that you know Aubrey, you were very vulnerable with us on the front end of this, and and you actually wrote a book about your story of yeah. being sexually assaulted and overcoming the shame. Uh, that that tends to put over and lord over your life. And that book yeah. is called Overcomer, right? Yep, Overcomer. Overcomer. Uh, and you can pick it up. Breaking down the walls of shame and rebuilding your soul. Sorry, go ahead. You can pick it up anywhere books are sold, but of course on Amazon. Awesome. So make sure you pick that up as well while you're picking up Every Woman's Battle, Every Man's Battle. And uh, next week we have more of our addiction series. We have a, a, a friend of ours um, from South Carolina, part of New Spring Church, who is going to come share his story and the ministry that he gets to do out of that church to minister to other people who are battling addiction. His name is Alan Cothran. You won't want to miss this conversation that I have with Alan. So excited about that one. It's going to be great. My junior year at Furman, my childhood best friend died of cancer. And um, that is the moment that I remember having this emotional pain and thinking, well, I can treat that pain with this Mm -hmm. medication. It's designed to treat physical pain. And so that's the first time that I remember um, looking to treat a feeling with a substance. Um, And honestly, it did not. It's not one of those things that spiraled the way you hear of people's addiction stories spiraling. Um, I would say it kind of it drifted when I had uh, opiates. I would take them when I didn't. I wouldn't. Um, but then at 23, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, um, and had two really, well, had two surgeries, the second of which was really a big surgery. Um, and so all of the sudden desire to stay on this medication met the opportunity to do that. Mm. And so, um, I kind of reconciled in my mind that, well, I can go through life and continue to take this stuff every three to four hours and justify doing it. Um, work a job, be a husband, and be high, frankly, all the time.